Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and this is episode number 191. And uh, today we're talking to John Philip Newell about his book, Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul. And the subtitle is Celtic Wisdom for Reawakening to What Our Souls Know and Healing the World. I told him in the episode, I said, that's a very promising subtitle. (laughs) That's a very, very lofty promise that you're giving us. But uh, the book delivers, as we also talk about in the episode, the book delivers on the on the promise. And uh, this book, honestly, like this is one of the best books I've read in the last year. I read a lot of books. Uh, ask my wife, anytime I have like a spare five minutes, typically my head is in a book, not a digital book. I don't like eBooks. I find it distracting if I'm on my phone or my iPad. I like to have a book I can hold, I can highlight. I typically fold pages. I do weird things to my books, just the way I am. My books, they represent a journey to me. So I keep them. I have them all. Uh, I love them. And uh, it's just me. I'm a, I'm a book nerd. Total nerd. Anyway, I read a lot of books in the last year. This book is definitely in the top two, three, maybe even the best book I've read. It's so good. You've got to go to Amazon, get the book, uh, Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul. While you're there, get my book. Great transition, right? Rethinking Everything. Uh, It's my spiritual journey out of a world of black and white thinking into a wide world of color. And uh, the book is available there, Amazon, softcover and hardcover. Hardcover takes like three to four week delivery time. Uh, It's self-published through Amazon and hardcover is a beta. So they're kind of still working out the kinks. Didn't print quite the way I wanted it to on the cover. The book inside is fine. Cover's a little big. I kind of wish they would have worked the kinks out before they printed my book. (laughs) But hey, it is what it is. It's a hardcover book. It's lovely. I like it. And I hope that you do uh, as as well. It's called Rethinking Everything. Just go to Amazon, put in like Glenn Siepert book, and uh, it should pop up right there. Music in the episode. And every episode for the rest of the year is from my friend Young Citizen, Y-U-N-G. What is that? There's a motorcycle that just drove down the street like a thousand miles an hour. Anyway, young citizen, uh, we used to work together at Apple. He's doing really good things in the world. He makes great music. He's a hip-hop artist, but he also does great things in the community. And so I approached him uh, about a week or so ago, a couple weeks ago now, and I said, hey, I use your, your music all the time in the episode. How about I just use your music in every episode for the rest of the year? And we'll just call this like a partnership and uh, no benefit for either one of us other than just using your music. Mostly my benefit because <laughs> I get to use your music. But I will bring you on the show and uh, you can talk about, you know, your music and, and your life and stuff like that, um, you know, sometime this year. But I'd like to use your music and I'll buy some of your merch. Uh, I'll wear it when I do my recordings. I think it would be really cool because people seem to really like uh, his music. And so that's what we're doing. So pretty much every episode, there might be episodes here and there where one of my other friends releases something new. I'll play that. But for the most part, you're going to hear Young Citizens Music. He's a great guy doing great things in the community, doing a lot of stuff for the youth. Uh, we live in the Charlotte area, North Carolina. He does a lot of stuff with the kids and the youth in the area. So just a really good guy uh, who's really out to encourage everybody that he can. So listen to his music, download it, pass it around, do all the things. I'll put the link in the show notes with the link to my book, uh, the link to John Phillips' book, and also the link to Patreon, Patreon to buy me a coffee. If this podcast has encouraged you, inspired you, uh, pushed you forward in your faith, that's the place to go to support the show. This is my job. 
This is my job. I'm trying to get better at it. I'm trying to do it uh, with all of my might and my energy, uh, the podcast, the blog, uh, my writing, uh, the book. I have some social media gigs, but this is my main job and I love it so much. And uh, so if you would go there and think about supporting the show, uh, the Seepert family would be extremely grateful uh, for that. Uh, The money that Patreon makes goes to pay the bills. Uh, Literally put food on the table, keep the lights on, (laughs) keep the computer charged because you need electricity to charge the computer. (laughs) So all those different kind of things. Uh, So thank you. And we have 43 patrons now and uh, we are extremely grateful for you that you would even consider uh, sharing some of your hard-earned money with the Seepert family. So uh, thank you. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for passing it around. Thank you for doing all of the things. Anyway, all that to say, my friends, this is episode number 191. That's my conversation with John Philip Newell. Enjoy. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. Sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. It's gonna get started, we can do what we wanna wake up. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. Sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. Got myself to see the big picture. You not alone, I'm right there with ya. Trust me, get up. Guess I gotta be more stricter. Keep my head up, getting more slicker. I know, yeah. Gotta move my feet, put in the motion. I know that every door I walk up to is bound to Hello, open. friends, and Wish welcome back to so the podcast. Uh, today we're joined by a brand new guest who wrote a book that is, I think, by far one of the most impactful books I've read in a long time. His name is John Philip Newell. And his book is called Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul. And so, John, uh, John Philip, JP, as your friends call you, uh, welcome to the podcast, my friend. It's an honor to have this time with you. Thank you, Glenn. Good to be with you. Thank you. So, uh, JP, before we jump into your book, uh, maybe take a few moments to tell us a little bit about your yourself. You know, I'm relatively new to you and your work, as I mentioned before we hit the record button. And I know a lot of our listeners are kind of in the same boat. So maybe tell us about you. Who are you? Uh, what do you do? Some of the, the highlights of your, your journey? Well, I, I describe myself as a, as a wandering teacher <laughs> in, uh, in an ancient uh, tradition uh, in the Celtic world, especially in the Middle Ages. There were many wandering Celtic teachers, and uh, th- they were uh, in the Middle Ages, they were called Scottish Vagans, that is, uh, wandering Scots. Mm. And these uh, wandering spiritual teachers were were free from ecclesiastical control, uh, which meant that they uh, were not out to uh, teach truth that had been dispensed from above in in terms of ecclesiastical hierarchy. But they saw themselves as trying to give voice to what is in the human soul and, and trying to set free awarenesses uh, in the hearts and minds of, of their listeners. And uh, this was a tradition that, that deeply honored uh, the sacredness of what is deepest in every human being mm. and honored the sacredness of the earth. So I'm part of this, um, this a- ancient tradition that, that is enjoying a resurgence. I think, I think often um, teachings uh, um, appear again uh, when we need them. And uh, this moment in time, especially in our 
uh, relationship with earth. Uh, this is a spiritual tradition that speaks very profoundly into this moment in time and the urgency of coming back into a true and spiritual relationship with, with the earth and what is deepest in, in one another and, and all people. So um, that's the sort of tradition in, in, in which uh, I see myself. Uh, I'm based in Edinburgh here with, with my wife. Uh, this is where we've uh, reared our, our children. Uh, uh, but I'm Canadian, Canadian by birth. I began on, on your side of the Atlantic. Uh, <laughs> and um, although my, my mother was Scottish and my father was Irish, so uh, the Celtic world has been uh, very much a, a part of my ancestry and, and it's the, uh, the culture and tradition and spiritual wisdom from, from which I, I draw. So I, uh, I'm a wandering teacher. A lot of my teaching is uh, in the United States and Canada, uh, and then also on this side of the Atlantic, especially on the, the little holy island of, of Iona in Scotland, mm -hmm. out in the, the Western Isles. Uh, it's seen as the birthplace of Christianity um, for, for Scotland uh, from about the sixth century onwards. Mm -hmm. So every year I, I lead pilgrimage weeks on the island of Iona, uh, to which people come from from all over the world. Um, it is, I mean, my uh, postal address is in Edinburgh, but my sort of the address of my heart is the <laughs> the island of Iona in, yeah. in the Hebrides. Yeah. Hmm. Now, when you talk about how this is your your path, has it always been your path, or was there ever? Did you like grow up in a different kind of tradition, and then you kind of? You know, deconstructed for lack of a better word, like to to find this path, or has this always been your path? Yes, I I did grow up in a, in another tradition, uh, a conservative evangelical uh, household. Mm -hmm. My my father was a minister in that tradition, and um, it it is a tradition that I'm I'm grateful uh, to have grown up in, uh, mm -hmm. to the extent that it is a tradition that that. Um, encouraged me, uh, nurtured me to pay very close attention to the heart. Um, it, it was a, um, a heart-oriented tradition. And, uh, and I'm grateful for that. And um, I, you know, sometimes during interviews like this, one of the things I love about interviews like this is that I never quite know uh, what I'm going to be asked. And I don't often quite know how I'm going to respond because sometimes questions come that I haven't thought of before. And uh, when that occurs, I just need to open my mouth and, and see what comes. Mm -hmm. And uh, and sometimes it's pretty illuminating and <laughs> interesting for me as well. <laughs> and a number of years ago, I was uh, giving some talks uh, uh, with Barbara Brown Taylor, another mm -hmm. spirituality teacher, and the focus of our talks was, was very much on what we have to learn from, from other great spiritual traditions. And um, so in my, in my own talks, I've been drawing on uh, Jewish wisdom and Muslim wisdom and uh, Buddhist wisdom. And uh, at, the, at the end of the talks, uh, we were being interviewed and, and uh, the interviewer said, um, so John, John Philip, tell me what, um, what has most influenced your approach to inter-spiritual or interfaith 
relationship and dialogue. And uh, I hadn't quite thought through that question before. And um, so I found myself saying, well, I, I think I have been most influenced by my, by my evangelical uh, upbringing, mm. uh, which was a slightly surprising um, <laughs> place, place to go. It's not, I think, where, where um, many would typically go in terms of understanding what would lead one into interspiritual dialogue and relationship but by that I meant you know when I meet a, a new rabbi or when I meet a new imam or a native uh, uh, native teacher I first and foremost I realize I pay attention to their heart mm. I mean I'm, I'm interested in the realm of, of ideas and philosophical reflection and perspective but I know that uh, uh, what what I do sort of instinctively uh, and and um, and I hope with the sort of reverential stance is to pay attention to the heart of the other mm. and um, and I think it was my evangelical upbringing that that gave me that that close attentiveness to the heart and to this really radically personal sense of relationship uh, with with the, with the world um, in, in that it focuses on a sense of personal relationship with the one from, from whom we've come, the, the one beyond names, but the one that we call God mm. in the Christian tradition. Um, so that was my beginning. And I never fully uh, signed up as it were to, to the theology or the doctrine of that tradition. Um, and uh, I came to Scotland to study theology in the mid-1970s, came from Canada. And uh, two things happened in, in Edinburgh that uh, very profoundly uh, shaped the unfolding course of my life um, in terms of spiritual tradition and theological perspective. And uh, one, one, was, um, one was meeting George MacLeod, and um, he, he was the founder of the modern day Iona community. And uh, he oversaw the, the rebuilding of the uh, 12th, 13th century abbey uh, on Iona. It was in ruins at that stage in, in the 19, late 1930s. And uh, he, he uh, was, committed to a vision of rebuilding that sacred site, not quite knowing how, how it was going to be, how the building itself was going to be used, uh, but knowing that we needed to rebuild or reclaim the, uh, the Celtic uh, vision that, that was so deeply part of that island and its history. And... Um, so I met George McLeod when I was in my early 20s. He was in his early 80s. Uh, and I heard him speak publicly here in Edinburgh. And uh, wh when I heard him, I, I mean, he was the first Christian teacher that I had heard who was speaking about the sacredness of the earth. Mm -hmm. uh, he was speaking even at that stage in the, in the 1970s about our need to come into relationship true relationship with the earth, about organic farming and so on. Uh, I also heard him speak about the nonviolence of Jesus as the, 
uh, as pointing to the essential way of true relationship between us as individuals, but also between us as nations. And uh, I mean, I came away from that talk thinking, I need somehow to, uh, to get, get close to this man. Um, I found that he was speaking what my soul was yearning for, and I didn't even quite know uh, before the talk how deeply I was yearning for these themes. Um, and, uh, and, and I was blessed uh, to be given opportunity shortly after that to, to uh, get to know him and to open my heart and my mind to, to the vision that he was trying to articulate. Mm. Um, so that, that was a major influence. In, in my path, and, uh, and also around the same time coming across uh, a collection of prayers from the Celtic world, prayers that had been passed down in the oral tradition for hundreds of years, mm. uh, that gave voice to my soul. And these were prayers for uh, the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun, at the birth of a child, at the death of love, love at the kindling of the morning fire and it's smoothing or covering at night. And these, these were prayers that belonged to the natural and to nature and to the cycle of the seasons. And um, they were prayers that, um, that made my soul breathe, mm. uh, breathe, breathe in a way that no prayer tradition had, had done for me before that. Um, so th those were formative experiences for me. And and have deeply shaped uh, what what I am and what I'm uh, what the vision that I'm trying to serve today. Yeah, and th thank you for sharing that background. And I, that gives me, and I think probably our listeners too, just a lot of a lot of hope because I, I love the I love the origins of your story that it began in that conservative evangelical world. Like I said to you before, that's where mine began. That's where a lot of our listeners began. And I love too how you said about. How you you listened to George McLeod, right? That that was his name, George McLeod. Yes, yes. And how something in your soul, like longed for whatever it was that he was sharing. And I had that similar experience with Alexander John Shia. I met him at the Wild Goose Festival, uh, which is like a kind of a spiritual gathering um, that happens in North Carolina every year. Yes. He was speaking about his his work, and you know, I just sat there listening to this man. I'm like. I don't know what he's talking about <laughs> really because it was a very it's all very foreign to me but i'm like something inside of me is like i need this and so yeah. i just followed it and i you know i read more of his stuff i was able to get more connected with him he shared other things with me and now like i'm in this place that's much different than my origins but like you said i, I still have an appreciation for where i came from because although a lot of the stuff i've moved way beyond there are those things like an appreciation for the heart like you said appreciation for the soul, for the spirit, like all that kind of language was very important to me growing up. Although it looks much different for me now, the language is still very important uh, for me. So yes, thank you. Yes. So your book, the uh, it's called Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul. Uh, the subtitle is Celtic Wisdom for Reawakening to What Our Souls Know and Healing for the World. That's a big, I read that subtitle. I'm like, that's a big promise for a book, <laughs> but for, for our listeners, it does deliver. So definitely go and uh, pick it up, but there's a lot jammed into that statement. And I think uh, maybe a really good place for us to start is something that I'm trying to kind of wrap my mind around in this season of my life is what exactly is Celtic wisdom? Like I understand some of the differences between like Western Christianity and Eastern, like that kind of language, but where does Celtic Christianity or Celtic wisdom 
kind of fit into the mix? Well, it's um, Celtic spirituality uh, is, is uh, a modern term, uh, but we use it to refer to a very distinct stream within early Christianity uh, in, in the Celtic world. So as, as early as the second century, as I explore in the book, uh, as early as the second century, we, we find uh, Christian teachers in the Celtic world uh, are articulating um, uh, an understanding of, of the Christ mystery in, in ways that, that are, are quite distinct from or different from the, the mainstream of, of Mediterranean Christianity and especially from the fourth century when uh, Mediterranean Christianity becomes the religion of empire. Um, and uh, and uh, Celtic teachers, um, uh, certainly from the fourth century onwards, become a, a thorn in, in the, the side of imperial uh, Christianity because they, they challenge that, uh, that marriage between power and religion that, uh, that happened in the fourth century and following. So we, we find teachers in the Celtic world emerging from as early as the second century uh, and um, something of a golden age uh, in, in the uh, sixth century, for instance, when significant figures like St. Bridget and St. Patrick and St. Columba emerge in, in the Celtic world. And by the Celtic world, I mean, uh, at that stage, um, the, the, the Celtic nations really spanned the whole of Middle Europe, mm. uh, ranging from as far east as, as Turkey and as far west as the Atlantic coastline of Spain, and then taking in places like Gaul, uh, ancient France, um, uh, and, and the, uh, the, the uh, Gallic uh, nation of, of France taking in um, the, 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 the uh, Gaelic-speaking countries of, of Scotland, Wales, uh, Cornwall, Ireland. Um, and uh, uh, there, there are many distinct emphases that emerge in teachers that come out of the Celtic world over these centuries. But the two uh, primary uh, themes that really distinguish this stream of Christian spirituality from the, uh, the, the dominant Mediterranean uh, or imperial religion stream is the belief that what is deepest in every human being uh, is of God. So from very early on, this tradition challenges the uh, Mediterranean Christian doctrine of original sin, which has dominated so much of Western, Western Christian thought. This uh, doctrine that has been used to give the impression that what is deepest in us or what is most original in us is opposed to God rather than being of God. Um, so one of the earliest teachers that we have uh, written material from is someone like Pelagius in the fourth century who said, for instance, that when we look into the face of a newborn child, uh, we are looking into the face of God, uh, freshly born among us. And uh, so uh, uh, a consistent um, focus on what is deepest in us being of God rather than opposed to God. And of course, this has enormous implications. It, it influences 
nearly every other aspect of a, of a spiritual theological tradition to start with that of godness uh, deep within every human being. The second major emphasis, and it's directly related to the first, um, but it is a sort of distinct theme that emerges early on, and that is a sense of the sacredness of earth and a sense of sacredness of, of the creatures and every living being. Uh, so uh, uh, holiness in this tradition has from the very begin, beginning been about wholeness. It's, about, it's been about living in true relationship with the sacredness that is in you, uh, that is deep in, in, in me and every, every person that I encounter. It's, it's inviting me to pay attention to the of godness or the sacredness that is a birthright of every human being. And what it's asking me in my relationship with you or in any person that I meet is how can I in my words, how can, how can I in my actions reverence that sacredness in you? And how can I be part of liberating it? How can I be part of uh, allowing it to be born anew or born again to use Jesus's language? Um, and it's a tradition that is has had this alertness to the sacredness of the earth and sacredness of the seasons. Uh, and uh, that's part of what makes it a tradition uh, that is enjoying a resurgence now because I think it, its language and its vision speaks uh, right into the urgency of what we're being called to do. And that is to come back into true relationship with the earth. Uh, that the earth as we know it may may survive, may be our children's uh, inheritance. That's beautiful. And I, you know, when I listen to you talk and I read like the, the stories in your book and, you know, it, it just seems like that, that just seems so much more Jesus-like for lack of a, of a better word to me than just what, even just what I was raised with. I mean, even just thinking about, you know, the whole topic of original sin, like, you know, I, I told you yeah. before we hit record, about that experience I had with my daughter in the NICU, you know, and just I'm steeped in this theology. This is all I ever knew. But then when I'm staring at my daughter and she grabs my pinky, something in me just broke. And I was like, there had this, this cannot possibly be right. And you have to figure out what this is. Like I had all these degrees and I've, I've taken all these classes, read all these books about this particular thing. But inside I was like, that, that just can't be right. And when I hear you talk about this, I'm like, that just seems so much more like Jesus to me. And I did, I didn't see it when I was deep in, in all the, the education, deep in all the teaching. But now that I'm, I've kind of stepped out of that and I'm kind of observing from a different point of view, it just makes so much more sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, we've um, Western Christianity ended up sort of clothing, clothing uh, Jesus or cloaking him in, in many doctrines. Um, and, and many of them uh, don't bear true relationship with the, the heart of his teaching, the heart of yeah. his life and yeah. his being. Mm. And, um, and, and one of them is this doctrine of original sin. I mean, this is not a, this is not a Jewish uh, teaching. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, Jesus uh, uh, was, was speaking from from a sort of deep truthfulness to the real heart of his tradition, which saw 
the uh, the blessedness uh, yeah. that that is deep in the, in the newborn child. Yeah. Um, I uh, and the the subtitle of the book, you know, that fairly long winded subtitle <laughs> that you read out, uh, uh, you know, wake, awakening to what our souls know, yeah. and being part of the healing of the world. Um, yeah, this this is my experience, and and in in a sense, it is my sort of measuring rod in my own life and in my own teaching. Uh, I mean, I regard the the births of my four children as as the most sacred moments of my life. Uh, uh, you know, in their faces, I could um, glimpse something of the light from from which all life has come. In their skin, I could smell something of the freshness and purity of life's origins and uh and this is something that i believe uh, uh the human soul knows and and so so many people when they uh read uh, uh, this particular expression of christian wisdom uh will say to me things like well i i knew i knew it i mean i i have a, a wonderful story that i think i i tell in the book of giving a talk in Virginia many years ago on some of the themes of the Celtic uh, tradition. And, and especially speaking, I, I think I was speaking about that phrase from the prologue to John's gospel, which speaks of the true light that enlightens every person coming into the world. And um, at the end of the, the talk, uh, a woman in her 80s came very purposefully up the central aisle of the church with a copy of my book, uh, Listening for the Heartbeat of God, in which I had explored some of these themes. And uh, she was coming up the central aisle so purposefully that the, the naughty boy and me thought, I think she's going to hit me over the head with, with that book. And <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> and, uh, but I was quite wrong. And uh, when, I, when she got up to the front, she said, I want to show you what I wrote in this book after reading it. And she opened the cover, front cover, and, and I saw that she had written, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I so often wish I had asked her for that copy uh, mm. because I think she said uh, um, she gave such simple expression to what, what our experience is when we hear ancient wisdom that has been neglected or has, we may never have been taught it, we may never have heard it, but when we hear uh, some of this wisdom, our deepest response is, ah, I knew it, uh, and and uh, and I, I. One of the reasons I would love to to have her copy of my book sitting on my desk uh, here would be to remind me that whenever I'm writing or whenever I'm teaching, um, my my job is not to be um, trying to put forward uh, truths that are not already in the heart of the listener. My my role as writer, teacher, and our role uh, in, uh, for one another in, in true relationship is to awaken uh, and is to set free uh, what is already of God in, in, the heart of, in the heart of the other. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, when I, when I read your book and like I listen to um, like Alexander John Shia, even like Rob Bell, you know, he's really evolved very far from where he used to be. And I listen to teachers like you, it, it's, 
I come to the, it's like this amazing revelation, but at the same time, I'm like, this isn't anything new. <laughs> like, it's not like, this isn't like rocket science. Like, this isn't like any kind of deep theological teaching. It's just like, oh, like, how did I not see that before? Like, of course, you know? And I think that's what, that's the mark, I think, of such a, of a good teacher is that you're, you're blowing the dust off of something that's there, but it's just been covered up for so long. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got um, a chapter. I'm going to mess up this person's name. So help me out here. But there's yeah, a chapter oh. <laughs> on Pierre Teilhard. Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. I, I didn't do yeah. that right. How do I say it? No, not bad. Uh, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. There you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, um, Pierre. Yeah. Pierre is his Christian name, of course. And mm-hmm. Teilhard is his family name. And Teilhard. Chardin refers to that part of France that his his family was from. Yeah, well, I so like the he, way you say it much better than the way I say it. <laughs> Tayhard, but it's hard to say which chapter. Like in the book, you have I think there's nine different people that you explore, and uh, this one was definitely I think one of my one of my favorites. But there's a quote in here that I wanted to read real quick for our listeners, and then just ask you how to respond to it. Uh, it's kind of it's a quote you said that's from the end of his life. Um, it says. He said, Christianity is reaching the end of one of the natural cycles of its existence. After what will soon be 2,000 years, Christ must be born again. And then you say, in that born-again Christianity, he said, Christ will no longer be seen as a deserter of the earth. He will be seen as a lover of the earth and at one with the earth. And I think that's so, that's so beautiful. And again, it awakens something inside of me that's like, yes, of course. But my question is, like this seems like such a daunting task. And so I guess the question is, what can our, what can our listeners do? What can I do to begin this rebirth of Jesus in the world? Because for those of us, especially like in the U S uh, in the South where I live for sure, it very often feels like that, that separation between the physical and the spiritual, uh, the disdain that we're often told that God has for the physical desire to uh, destroy it in the end times, all these different things. It feels such like such a great mindset that's very cemented into place. And so talk to us, like practically speaking, if my role is to almost like midwife this rebirth into the world, like what, where do I even begin? Like, what is it, what does it look like for me on an everyday basis, raising my families, you know, somebody working a nine to five job, like how, how do you do this? So, you know, one of the things that uh, t- someone like Teilhard, but but all of the great teachers in this stream uh, are very focused on, on the mystery of the incarnation uh, as right at the very heart of our, of our Christian inheritance. And of course, the, the incarnation is all about the oneness of heaven and earth, of spirit and matter, of the divine and the human. Uh, yeah, what, what have we done with this sort of radical uh, doctrine at the heart of our Christian inheritance? We've, we've ended up, in many cases, saying, oh, it applies to one, uh, mm. to Jesus. And, and, then, and then we see Jesus as an exception to humanity or uh, as somehow in opposition to what is deepest in every newborn child. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of seeing him as the revelation or the disclosure of what is deepest to you and, and every human being. <clears throat> mm. So this, um, the, the word revelation comes from the Latin root revelare, uh, which means to, to lift the veil. So uh, Jesus 
in, in the thinking of someone like Teilhard, but consistently in the Celtic world, Jesus is seen as lifting the veil uh, to show us what is deepest in, in us, in, in every human being. Um, so this has radical implications for how we are to view ourselves and how we can view one another and, and every man and every woman. And uh, it allows us to, to see Christ not as an exception to the human mystery, but, but as this disclosure. Um, and one of the things that's said in the Celtic world is that we suffer from soul forgetfulness. That is, we've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten yeah. who we truly are. Yeah. And part of that uh, soul forgetfulness is represented in, in something like the doctrine of original sin, to see that what is deepest in us is opposed to God, is to forget mm. the unspeakable beauty and glory of who we are made of, made of God. Um, so uh, how, how, do we, how do we apply this, this vision? And um, there, there are a number of ways that, that uh, are, are important to me and that I'm trying to be part of in, in my life and, and work. So one is to, is to uh, if, if, what we're, if we suffer from soul forgetfulness, um, and if we've been raised in a culture and indeed a, a, a religion often that does not help awaken our awareness of what is deepest within us, then we need to keep sort of remembering yeah. our true essence. And that's why uh, some of the teachers in this tradition speak of Jesus as our, our memory. Uh, he, he comes to awaken us to who, who we are. So uh, what are the ways in which I, on a, on, a, on a daily basis, can remember who I am uh, and, and can, can remember what, what is deep within every person I meet, every person I encounter? And uh, so for me, uh, one of the important daily practices is, is a time of uh, prayerful uh, meditation every morning. Uh, usually, in my case, you know, as uh, around the time the sun is rising, I mean, the, this has been a sacred um, moment in, in the 24-hour cycle uh, for, for all great spiritual traditions. Um, it's a sort of awakening time. Uh, so uh, I sit in silence, um, gazing towards the eastern sky in Edinburgh. And of course, the rising of the sun is a lot later in the winter than it is in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're so far north. Um, but that, that's a sacred uh, discipline for me. Yeah. Um, and and uh, I use a very simple form of um, uh, breathing meditation in which I allow the natural um, uh, intake of breath and, and out breath to, to form the rhythm and the focus. Mm. And, um, and I allow myself to, to pause at the end of the, the out breath and, and to remember that what is deepest in me is of the beauty of God. Um, and um, that, that's not in any sense to, um, to have an inflated sense of myself. I mean, it's quite the opposite. I think, I think this is the path of, of humility that Jesus 
invites us into uh, to die to die to uh, what is false in me and to uh, to return again and again to to the truth of who I am uh, made made of God and therefore to return to the wisdom of God that is within us um, as our birthright yeah. uh, to return to return to the wisdom that is within us deeper than any ignorance of what we've done. Uh, it's to return to the creativity of God uh, deep in our soul, uh, which is deeper than any barrenness in our lives. Um, uh, so th that practice is an important one for me. And, and, um, and um, I think when in the past, when I was first beginning to develop this, this discipline of daily prayerful meditation of, of remembering uh, who I am made of God. Um, you know, I would sometimes, of course, be tempted on a busy schedule morning to think, oh, I, I don't have time for half an hour of silent prayer meditation. Uh, but, but what, you know, what I discovered is, is that if, if I actually neglect that, that um, personal discipline, then the, the day goes downhill <laughs> for me. Then, then I live, you know, I'm more inclined to live in a forgetfulness, a forgetting of, yeah. of what I am. Hmm. So that's important. And I, I cherish that time uh, individually. I love to be able to meditate with others as well. I mean, I think, uh, and, and I think this is part of, part of what Jesus in, invites us into uh, mm. in teachings of where two or three, you know, are, are, are gathered. Um, yeah, I think that there's, there's something deeper and richer, stronger, happens uh, when we can find others with whom to to be in uh, remembering mode and and re being renewed through simple practices of, of prayer and silence uh, and attentiveness um, and in in the Celtic world there, there there's this prizing of um, of what's called the two scriptures uh, one is the little book the the book of scripture, uh, physically little, uh, and the other is, is seeing uh, the sacred text of the earth, the sacred text of the universe, which is referred to as the big book through which God is speaking. And uh, the discipline of, of listening within both those sacred texts of God, uh, lis listening to them sort of in stereo, as it were, to hear both the, uh, the sort of intimate uh, expressions of the divine that, that come through scripture and that address often uh, uh, who we are in relationship, who we are to be in relationship with those who are hungry, with those who are poor. Um, and then to listen to the big sort of expansive expressions of God uh, in, in the unfolding universe. Um, the, the Celtic tradition has really loved, uh, especially John's gospel, the opening words of John's gospel, which, which begin, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then John goes on to say, and everything has come into being mm. through the word, which is to say that everything essentially is an expression of God. Um, is everything is essentially a living utterance um, of the one. Um, 
And a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, definitely, I was giving a talk in, in Virginia and I was speaking of everything essentially being an utterance of God. And one of the participants came up to me at the end and he said, now, is there a, a relationship between the, the word utter and the word uterus? And um, I said, wow, um, I don't know that, but I think you're on to something. So the next time I could get my hand on my uh, Oxford English dictionary, I did some etymological sort of uh, digging. And sure enough, the word utter uh, is derived from the Latin uterus. Um, so to say that we're, we, have, we are all utterances of God is to say that everything has come from the uterus uh, of, of God uh, and not just our souls but our bodies and not just us as individuals but the whole cosmos it's all come forth from the very uterus or come forth from the very womb from the very heart from the very essence of God uh, so there's that practice as well paying attention reverently to to the small book and to the big book as they Celtic teachers put it, and to listening in stereo and to doing that with others um, and, and to uh, see that utterance as a living, uh, forever fresh utterance. Um, and uh, the other thing uh, relates to, to um, the School of Earth and Soul, um, which I founded and uh, originally called the, the School of Celtic Consciousness. Um, in which we uh, give a lot of attention to, to study as well as spiritual practice as, as part of how we keep remembering. And, uh, and again, to do this in the context of others, to study together, to, to go back uh, to teachers that have been neglected. Um, and this is part of what we do on our uh, Iona pilgrimage weeks as well. So the, these, you know, that's, that's not to say that, that that's the only way to, to move forward, but it's the, it's the way that, um, it's, a, it's an example of, of the way that I think we're all being invited to, to um, remember our true essence as being of God, that we, we need to find these simple spiritual practices, both on our own and together. We need to... Um, to educate our minds as well as our hearts. And we are to see this combination of spiritual practice and study as more deeply equipping us for the holy work of love and the holy work of compassion, because that's the true mark of any great spiritual tradition. Wow, that's, uh, that, is, that is a lot to, to take in. My mind is reeling right now. But one of the things that you, you said early on, you talked about remembering. And I think for me, and I know for your tradition as well, a lot of our listeners, the, the problem, so to speak, that Jesus came to solve was a sin problem. But the way you're sharing it with us is that it's, it's a, a memory problem. It's a forgetfulness problem. And one of the things I'm trying to do is, is remind myself of that on a daily basis. And one of the ways I do that just thinking about it while you're talking is my daughter is four and she's always asking 
me to tell her the story of Jesus. And I remember the first time she asked me that she was like, uh, like two and a half maybe. And, you know, I, in my mind, I'm like, well, I could just kind of give her a very abbreviated version because <laughs> I don't have it figured out myself yet and kind of steer clear of all of the, the problematic things that I was, I picked up in my life. And inside of me, something said, and I think it was like just a smaller version of myself said, you got, you gotta, you gotta figure out how you're going to share this with her off the bat because she's going to grow up yeah. and she's going to hear the stuff that you heard. And you want her to have yeah. this picture of Jesus that, you know, she can hear something that maybe is, you know, like the God is angry theology and something in her will go off to no, 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 no. It's not, it's not, not the Jesus that I know. So how to figure out how am I going to share this with her? And now in a, a year and a half later, it's every night I share the story with her and I talk to her about how, you know, God created everybody to be everybody good, everybody loving, create everybody to be loving and kind, all these different things. But over time, we forgot how to live. And so God said, oh, it looks like my people forgot how to live. I have to remind them. And so God came to live inside of Jesus. And Jesus reminded us of who we were. And lots of people woke up and lots of people began to follow him. They were called his disciples. Some people didn't wake up. But, you know, we, we kind of go through this story. And then that reminds me on a daily basis. So that's reminding me, daddy, who doesn't have it all figured out, but is constantly reminding me of that new narrative that I'm trying to really cement into my mind because that old narrative is very much still there and I'm trying to kind of juggle these two things and uh, figure it out as I go. So to your point, I think just having those different practices that remind us of this, this, this different narrative of God that many of us were handed is really, really important. And for me, it's just laying in bed with my four-year-old at the end of the day, thinking about the story of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. I'm, I'm, uh, 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 it's a beautiful account of what you're doing in your fatherhood, and um, and that uh, that to me is, you know, that that is the practice of spirituality. It's it's how how we work it through in these um, essential and sacred relationships of our lives, and the questions that our children ask us, the children, the, the questions that now my grandchildren are asking mm. me. Are are, um, are formative questions. They, you know, it's it's out of the, the mouths of babes that we're often being invited to uh, to pay pay closer attention to. What is our vision? How how do we articulate it? I I've been spending a bit of time again here in Scotland with uh, one of my the writings of one of my favourite Scottish poets, uh, Edwin Muir. Um, same spelling as John John Muir, the great ecologist, but um, another man uh, from the Orkney Islands. And one of the things he says in, in one of his poems, and then expands on in a letter that I've um, had access to, he says, <clears throat> um, yeah, truth is not too complicated for expression. He says it's too simple. For expression <laughs> and the the simpler we can be in our utterances and expressions he says uh, that is usually an indication that we're getting closer to, to the heart of truth and i think that's that's so true and you know the the the, uh, the story of jesus welcoming the children um this is not just it is of course literally speaking about the importance of children um 
but I think it's also inviting us to access the childlike within ourselves right. and to uh, I, I keep allowing ourselves to return to that beauty, mm-hmm. that beauty of simplicity that is in the heart and eyes and ears of a child. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, JP, we are just about out of time. I already kept you longer than I said I was going to, but I can't stop well, listening okay. to you. It's, it's, <laughs> it's been great to speak. So maybe we can do this again sometime. But before you go, uh, where can people, where's the best place for people to connect with you online? In your yeah, work? Uh, yeah, thank you. I, I, I do have a, a website called mm-hmm. Earth and Soul. So that's just E-A-R-T-H-A-N-D-S-O-U-L dot org. And uh, that, that provides uh, um, an indication of the things I'm, I've been writing and, and working on. It also uh, has uh, an event schedule of uh, pilgrimages and, and uh, the School of Earth and Soul. So that, that's a good place to go. And, and uh, there's a way of uh, getting a message through to me if, if you want to. Uh, in and that's how I found you. and he does answer he answered me (laughs) awesome well jp thank you again so much and um i'll put all those links in the show notes and hopefully we can do this again sometime yeah great blessings to you thanks my friend thank you Go ahead and run, I'ma check. Wish I had no other sin, most beating on my chest. Wishing for my people. Uh. Wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name my own picture, we bring our own sand. Wherever you live is so bland. So much with high on demand. Tiptoe around throwing high lows. Feel like James Brown, love, we go ahead and dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champion. Go ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience. Dub TTG train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Wish I had red bottles on my feet, everything falls on me. Then I start clicking my heels to the ride, it is beat neat. Everyone to follow my speed. Let's close those more keys. Carolina Rose on freeze. Wishing I could fly to the keys. That will be more free. Something hit my mind, hit the dough. Put on my fresh fit. Toast Sir Charles, let's go. We about to go and get it. Uh, let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at the fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champions. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign, wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. King is giving a festival. I wish.